Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning again. It's good to be here with you on Christmas, uh, Christmas season. Uh, it's hard to believe it's here, isn't it? It's December. The weather is cooperating. It was freezing this morning. And so it, it actually feels like, like Christmas. And uh, it's so good to be here. I want to especially welcome those of you who are here again for the very first time. We are so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. And so inside of your program, you'll find a message note sheet we use every week for our time uh, uh, together. And so I encourage you to pull that out. And then I'm going to pray. And we're going to jump in this new series. You guys all set? All right, let's pray. God, we are so excited to be here at the start of, of another Christmas season. And God, we're just uh, anticipating that you are going to come and you're going to show us some new things, things that we've never really seen, known, understood before, that's going to increase our, our understanding of who you are, who we are, the kind of relationship you call us to. And we're so thankful to be together. So we just pray that you'll, you'll be here, you'll be with me as I teach, that you'll be with us as we listen to your word, and that you'll speak to us powerfully in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're starting uh, this brand new series that we're going to be continuing uh, all the way up through Christmas weekend, and it's called The Invasion, uh, The True Story of Christmas. And I don't know about you, but growing up, um, Christmas was my favorite holiday of the year. How, how many can relate to that? Growing up, Christmas year, you know, maybe not so much now that you're adults, you know, but, but when you're a kid, I mean, it's all about Christmas, right? It's just awesome that day. I, I remember for, for us in our family, uh, it started off on Christmas Eve. My mom got together. She was one of seven brothers and sisters. And so big family, uh, a lot of cousins, you know, grandparents there. And uh, it was the one time of year we'd all get together and, and I still just it, just, it was just magical. You know, come in, the lights are going. Everyone brings their, their favorite Christmas goodies that are laid out there. That's this amazing food you only get one time a year. You got the Christmas punch, it's green, got the sherbet going and you know, that whole thing. Uh, you, you've got uh, my, my, my older cousins who are very gifted musically, one on the guitar, one on the piano. They're, they're belting out the Christmas song. I mean, it's just, it's kind of magical. And that's how it started. And then there's Christmas morning. And of course, that's when you're with your family and you open your presents. I still remember fifth grade getting the ultimate bike of all time, you know, getting this stingray, green, metallic green stingray, white banana seat, uh, three speed, coolest, you know, coolest uh, bike in the bike rack, if you ask me at school. And uh, so, so just, you know, and I, I think most of us can, can, can relate to that. You love Christmas, right? We like the sights, the sounds, the trees, uh, the, the, the lights, uh, the, the food, the friends, the gifts, uh, the, the carols, everything that goes with it. Uh, and, and then for those of us who are Christ followers, uh, we've given our life to Christ. Then, of course, Christmas takes on this whole new dimension because uh, Christmas is the time we celebrate the coming of Jesus. And for those of us who have met Jesus, experienced his life-changing power, I mean, it, Christmas is, you know, it's like that's what Christmas is about. And for some of you, I was thinking about that just last night. For some of you, it's this year you've come to know Jesus. It was this year you were baptized. It was this year that, that Christ has burst into your life and changed your life. And for, for many of you, this is your very first Christmas, really knowing the Christ of Christmas. And so it's a powerful time. 
But the interesting thing is for me that regardless of our background, whether kind of church and, and Christmas, Christmas and Christianity, like whether it's a, a familiar thing or this is a, a brand new thing that probably most of us in our culture probably know the basics of the Christmas story, right? We, we know the story that the young mother, the unexpected pregnancy, the reluctant fiance, the long trip to the little town on the donkey. Uh, you've got the, the manger, you've got the, the star in the east, the wise men coming, the frankincense, the myrrh, you know, all those gifts are from the angels, the, the, uh, the, the shepherds in the field. And so, so probably for most of us, we're probably familiar at least with the basics of the story. But the amazing thing is, even for those of us who are kind of, uh, we'd say Christ followers, even for us that many times we miss the bigger picture story that God is telling of which Christmas is really just one small, very important, but one small chapter in a much larger story. And so what we're gonna be doing in this series for the next three weeks is we're gonna be kind of unpacking that larger story, this epic story of a God who loves his creation so much that when we rebel, instead of writing us off, comes up with this daring rescue plan to actually enter into the human race, become part of us to rescue us and restore us and give us back the life that we were created to live. And so uh, what we're doing today is we're gonna start off with uh, kind of the, the uh, gospel of John with the apostle John's, uh, his, his version of the Christmas story. Uh, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, he was part of the inner circle and Jesus kind of commissioned to be one of the leaders of his movement. And we call those leaders the apostles. And so, um, so in John chapter one, uh, he gives his version of the Christmas story. But unlike the versions say in, in Matthew or Luke, it doesn't start with the star, doesn't start with wise men, doesn't start with manger or trips, long trips to little towns, doesn't start with that. It, it starts kind of with a time before time. It's a very cosmic view of Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to John chapter one. Now, if you're here and you don't have your Bible, that's fine because inside your note sheet, you're gonna have all the verses that we're using today. But of course, if you have your Bible, it's always better in your own Bible. So if you have your Bible, you got your eyes, iPad, you got your iPhone or whatever else, another device that I see more and more of these days, kind of break them out, turn to John 1, 1, or hit the point point and get the John 1. So here we go. Uh, there in your note sheet, there's a section called the true story, the time before time. And what we're going to do is just kind of highlight as John starts the story of Jesus uh, with this kind of cosmic view of Christmas. And so in chapter 1 and verse 1, John says, in the beginning, and so John says, if you go back to the beginning of time, however far back you want to push that. And so modern science would tell us that the world is 4.5 billion years old. Throughout history, there have been some Christians who believe in old earth theory, some new earth theory, but whatever you believe, you push back the beginning of time to wherever you want it to be. And John says, when you get there, when you get there, that you're gonna find a person and he calls that person the word, all right? So he says, in the beginning was the what? The word, all right? So in the beginning, you push it back, it's right, there was a person called the word. And he says, and the word was what? With God. And so catch that, that this word was separate from God, a separate person from God. He was with God. And then, then he goes on, and he says, but the word was God. Okay, so he's with God, uh, separate from God, and yet 
he was God. And so, so John begins to introduce us into this one of the greatest mysteries of life, uh, one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible, of this teaching of, of this God that we serve who is somehow both, he's one God and yet exists forever as three persons. And so he, he says then in verse two that he was with God in the beginning. And then in verse three, he tells us the next important thing about this word who is with God and was God. He, he says in verse three that through him, all things were made. And so this word who is with God and was God is the creator of the cosmos. All things for every molecule that moves from the smallest molecule, the largest mountain from the most far flung galaxy to the subatomic, uh, small subatomic quark that he is the creator of the cosmos. This word that was with God and that was God. And then the, the, the mind blowing thing comes in verse 14. Because in verse 14, what he's gonna say, and this is kind of John's version of Christmas, is, is that there was a time and a place when the God who created all of time and space entered into his creation to become part of the human race. And so in 114, uh, and if you're following on your note sheets, the next, next passage there, it says, so the word, this word who is with God and was God, this word uh, became flesh. He became a human being and he made his dwelling amongst us. He entered into human history and we have seen his glory. Of course, when you think of God, you think of the glory of God. So we've seen his glory, uh, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Remember, he was with the Father. He came from the Father uh, and he was full of two things. What's he say? Grace. Full of grace and truth. And he says, so if you knew this word who's made flesh, if you were there, if you experienced him, there's two words that you would use to describe him. And he says, one word is the word grace. This amazing grace that pours out that no matter who you are or what you've done or how far you are from God or how, that, that what you would experience is this word that's becoming flesh is God, you'd experience grace. You would experience this amazing love regardless of who you are, what your story is, you'd experience this outpouring of amazing grace. But he says, but you would also experience truth. You'd experience the truth about life, about God, about you, about your relationship. He came to reveal truth. And so, so this at the core is the story of Christmas. It's the full story of Christmas that there was a time and a place who the God who, who created all time and space entered into creation, became a part of the human race. Now, if you are a longtime believer, chances are that you are way too familiar with that story. And chances are, we, we sometimes, as, as Christ followers, we get way too familiar with the most amazing things in the Bible. And this is an amazing claim. Like if this is the first time you've heard this claim, like, like some of you uh, uh, sitting here, you may be, this may be the first time you've ever been in church. For some of you, it may be the first time you've been in 10 or 15 years. It's been a long time. It's been since you were a kid that you were in church. And, and it may be the first time you've ever really heard this claim. You've known the story, baby, manger, uh, unexpected pregnancy, supernatural birth. You've known that story, but it's the first time you've ever really understood the story of Christmas, that it's, it's God entering into his creation, right? And so if it's the first time you've heard that, it may be 
sort of blowing your mind. And you may be saying, that's crazy. Are you telling me that this God who created this incredible cosmos, that he became part, are you really claiming that? And, and I, in a way, I'm so envious of you. I wish I could go back and hear this for the first time. Because it's a stupendous claim. Like, let me, let me give you just some, some uh, handles on this, try to get our hands around it. Um, in, pre pre in preparation, when I was first preparing for this message, I went to the source of all truth and knowledge, which is Wikipedia. <laughs> and, and so I asked Wikipedia, oh, Wikipedia, uh, what is the size of the universe? And this is the answer that came back from Wikipedia. That the universe, and you might want to write this down, just kind of mind-boggling, that, that the universe, according to modern current science, that the, the, the universe is a hundred billion light years across. Now, I don't know about you, I can't even get my hands around a light year. Yeah, right. yeah, we're going we're to travel the speed of light, right, for a year. And, and i like, what? I mean, I can't even, you know... I can't even begin that. Like we've circled, you know, the globe like, the six times in a second or something. I mean, it's just like, like what? Like I, I, I can't even begin to get my hands around that. So, but, but the universe is a hundred, well, it's, it's actually 92, I'm rounding off. You know, what's eight billion, you know? Think of our national deficit. Uh, so, um, you know, a billion here, a billion here, sooner or later adds up to real money. But uh, anyway, so a hundred billion light years across. And within the, that universe, that cosmos, we're told that there are a hundred billion galaxies. A okay? hundred billion galaxies. Now, of course, we have one galaxy. We live in a galaxy. What's the name of our galaxy? Milky Way. Good. Last night they said Earth. Um, yeah. <laughs> Snickers, no, uh, uh, wrong. Uh, okay, yeah, so we live in one, one galaxy. There are a hundred billion of them, okay? And then in our galaxy, there are 200 to 400 billion stars. Are you still with me? It's getting a little mind-boggy. Okay, so we get one of those stars. Our star is called what? No, sun. Gosh, remember science? Okay, so sun, it's called the sun, right? And so, and, and we don't even have our own star. I mean, that's our star. We don't live on a star. We're just like in the orbit of a star, okay? And so we're just like one planet in, out of 200 to 400 billion stars that exist in a galaxy, in, 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 a, in a world that has a hundred billion galaxies, that's a hundred billion light years. Now, I don't even know how to begin to get my hands around that. But, but here is the claim of Christmas. The claim of Christmas is that the God who with a word spoke into existence a universe that's a hundred billion light years made up of a hundred billion galaxies of which we live in one that's a hundred thousand 
light years across, of which there are 200 to 400 billion stars, of which we have one, that the God who created that, there was a time and a place when that God became a fertilized egg and entered into the womb of a young woman who had never had sexual relations to grow there for nine months to be born as a baby that when he came out could do nothing but cry and mess his diapers. That's the claim of Christianity. That's the claim. Now, you may buy into that claim, you may not buy into that claim, but that is core Christianity. There is no Christianity without that. That is the message of Christmas. There's a time and a place when the God who created all time and space entered into creation, became a part of the human race. One of my uh, favorite uh, authors, uh, theologians, thinkers, is uh, uh, a writer named J.I. Packer. He wrote a famous book 20, 30 years ago called Knowing God. Um, and there on your note sheet, I put a quote by Dr. Packer. Um, it, it's, a little, it's a little tough to follow at, at a couple places, but it, it's worth the price of admission once you get in. And, and, and so let's follow what he says here. He, he's talking about Christmas, and he says, the supreme mystery of which the gospel confronts us, and of course, by gospel, we mean the message of Christ so he says that the most mysterious thing about the message of Christ, it lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement. And so as Christians, we believe in what the Bible teaches we call the atonement. The fact that when Christ died on the cross, it wasn't an accident that he died in our place to take our sins, to take the sentence for our judgment upon him. And that's why we go free because he was our substitute. That's called atonement. It's a mystery how that works. And he says, but that's not the greatest mystery. He says, nor in the Easter message of the resurrection. And so the New Testament teaches that when Jesus rose from the grave, that it was the start of a whole new reclamation project where God was going to reclaim the whole universe and restore it. And Jesus was the first step. His new body was the first step. And as he is, so we will be as his followers. We will receive a body like his. And so he says, that's a mystery, but that's not the greatest mystery. He says, it's the greatest mystery is the Christmas message of the incarnation of God becoming man. He said, the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man and that he took humanity, he became a human being, without loss of his deity while still remaining God. And so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. It's here that in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the, Christ, of the Christian revelation lie. And he quotes the verse we just studied, the word became flesh, God became man, the divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. You know, all weekend long, we've been dedicating babies. Unable to do more than lie and stare, wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this, 
that the babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. And I think that, that as Christ, as far as we, we get way too familiar with this, way too comfortable, this amazing claim that there was a time and a place when the God who created all time and space entered into creation. And of course, of course, the question that, that kind of lies there is that, well, why would he do that? Like, why would God make that decision to become so small? Like, wh why would he become so vulnerable? Why would he subject himself to that? And so, so John, fortunately, gives us the answer. And, and in this opening passage of John, he says there's two reasons. And I want you to write down two words. There's two words that kind of, kind of explain why that this word made, became flesh. And the first word is the word reveal. And we'll come back to this in a minute. The first word, just write it down, the word reveal. The second word is the word rescue. And so if you write those two words, you, you kind of have it in a nutshell. And, and so what John's gonna tell us is that the reason that, that the word became flesh was, was he wanted to have relationship and he wanted to reveal the truth about who he was and, and how life works and how to have relationship. And so if you stop and think about it, as you look over human history at pretty much all places, all times, all seasons, 99.9% .9 of the human race has believed that there is a God or there is some kind of other you know, higher power or, or gods, right? That, that throughout human history, you study anthropology, uh, that, that it's just, this is the story of the human race. Wherever you go, that people believe in a God or in a series of gods. There's something out there. And it's kind of easy to understand why because as you look at the complexity of creation, the beauty, the brilliance of creation, it's just like, it's so obviously designed that, that obviously it points to a designer. And, and we've just kind of intuitively sensed that. But it's not just the evidence outside of us, it's the evidence inside us. Because every one of us is born with an internal sense of right and wrong. We often call it a, a conscience. And so uh, throughout human history, that as you study law codes, they're all very similar. You know, you don't murder, you don't steal someone's wife. Why are these different cultures? Because, because there is a law written on the human heart. But of course, if, if there's a law written on the human heart, then why is there a law there? There must be a law giver who's written on it. So whether you're looking at evidence outside of ourselves or living inside ourselves, the evidence all points to a creator. And so this is why uh, kind of throughout human history, we've all been looking for this creator. But the, here's what's different. As you go through human history, every culture, every age, everyone has their own idea of what this God is like and, and how to have relationship with this God. Is there one God or many gods in? Is it he or she or all these different theories, right? And it's the same in our own culture today, all these different theories. And so what John says is the reason the word became flesh was because God, God wanted to settle this once and for all. He wanted to reveal himself. He wanted to become one of us, speak our language. We can see him touch him, uh, uh, watch him, we can see this is who God is and this is what God is like and this is how we have relationship with God. And so, so John says that in John chapter one in verse 18, if you have your Bibles open still or on your note sheet if you're following along there, John says this is why the word came. He says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, and he's talking about the word now, 
still the context, God the one and only who's at the Father's side, remember who is with him at the beginning, has made him known. And so, so this is why, so, so when you look at the life of Jesus, it's not just his teaching, his teaching shows us who God is, but it's his person, it's who he is. As Jesus touches the blind men, as he responds to people who are far from God, as he gets angry at the religious leaders who are so hypocritical, as he teaches, wherever he goes, you're seeing God in action. If you wanna know what God is like, you look at Jesus because he's come. It's why Jesus says in John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father, right? And so, and so that he's come to reveal who God is and the path to God, how we have relationship. So that's number one, because God wants relationship and he's reaching out to us to make sure we know who he is. So you wanna know who God is, you look at Jesus. But there's a second reason he's come not only to reveal, he's come to rescue. And so what John explains in this opening chapter is that as the human race, we've rebelled against God. We are a race that is living in darkness. We're a race that's it's living in death. And not just physical death, but spiritual, emotional death. We've lost the life we were created to live. C.S. Lewis called the earth the dark planet that we are the dark planet, that the lights have gone out, things have gone wrong. Through our rebellion, we're not who created to be, and so we're not living the life that God created us to live. And so the answer is, is that the word became flesh to give us back our life, to restore us our life. And so there on your note sheet, or in your Bible, in verse uh, uh, 12, John 1, 12, he says, but to all who received him, and so we'll, we'll go back and catch the context in just a minute. But in the context, uh, what he says is that when the word who is with God and was God, when this word came into the world, the human race, that by and large, as a race, we rejected him. Obviously, we crucified him, right? But he says, but there were those who did recognize him and receive him, and they, they recognized he is their God, and they gave their life, and they trusted to him. And he says, to those who received him as their God, and those who believed in his name, who trusted their lives, to him, he gave the right to become children of God. So catch this, this is not just a metaphor. What he's saying is that, that through Christ, through, through the word that became, that we're able to receive the life that we lost. And as you go through John's gospel, he calls this life eternal life. And in John's gospel, eternal life is not so much about length of life, although it is that too, but it's about the quality of life. It's about the life of God being given, infused back into the human race. And so, so in the gospel of John, Jesus uses language of being born again. And we talk about in Christians about being born again, but it's, it's a beautiful picture of being the life of God being infused back into our lives so we can live the life we can create to live. And so he goes on in verse 13, he says, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, and it's not a physical birth, but of born of God. And so Jesus then in John chapter three says, to, he's talking to a religious leader. He says, if you want to have a relationship with God, that you have to be born again. Something has to happen supernaturally. It, it's a work of God's spirit in your life where he comes in, he opens your eyes to the truth of who he is. You surrender your life. The life of God comes in you and there's a whole new power to live life as it was created to be lived, both this life and the next life. 
okay? And so, so Jesus kind of lays this out. And so, so this then is the message of Christmas according to John. John says there was a time and a place when the God who created the human race entered into creation, became a part of our human race. Why? So that we could, uh, so that he could reveal who he is and he could rescue us and give us back our life. That, that's the whole point. And, and so, so now that we get that, we can stand back from that and say, okay, we, we see then that the issue at Christmas then is how do we respond to this story? How do we respond to this God who has revealed himself in Christ, this God who has entered into creation, this God who's revealed, this is who I am, this is how to have a relationship, who calls us out of darkness, who calls us out of death, who calls us, how do we respond to that, that God? And so what we realize is that Christmas, no longer can we just kind of go by the manger of Jesus and say, what a nice, cute little baby, and sing a few Christmas carols, and let's pass the gifts and drink the eggnog and move on, that, that Christmas confronts us with the greatest choice of life. It's the ultimate choice. How do we respond to the creator who's become in person in Christ to reveal him? So how do we respond to that? And so there in your note sheet, there's a section, it's called the true story, the ultimate choice. And so this is what John says. This is what John's gonna unpack for us in this opening chapter, that when the creator came, there was two responses. That some received him, that's his language, they received him as their God, uh, as their rescuer, uh, and they received life, and there's some who rejected him. And so he says, for example, if you look in your Bibles at 110, it's also there on your note sheet. But in 110, it says, he was in the world, talking about the word made flesh. Christ was in the world. And though the world was made through him, he's a creator, the world did not recognize him. And catch this, when John says they didn't recognize him, he, he means more than just they didn't realize he was a creator. What he means is, he, is the context would show is that they didn't want to recognize him. They didn't want to recognize his leadership in their life. They didn't want to recognize his authority. And, and so what, what he goes on to say is that when the creator came to the creation with his offer of life, that by and large, as a race, we were so addicted to the darkness. Okay, Th think of a drug addict addicted to heroin, that you come and you're doing an intervention and we wanna get you out and we wanna get you clean, we wanna give you back your life. And they say, no, I don't want that, I just want my next fix, right? Because I'm, I'm so addicted to this drug that I, I don't want to be set free, I just want more of what I have. And John says that was the situation of the human race. We're so addicted to our darkness and, and to the death that when Christ came, that most rejected. So we don't want to acknowledge you as creator. We don't want you to lead in our life. We don't want the life that you came to give us. And so it says he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own creation, his own people, but his own did not, what does it say? Receive him. Let's say it again. He didn't what? Receive him. So you see, there's two responses to Christmas. You receive him or you reject him. There really is no middle ground. Creator's come, he's presented himself, offered life, offered forgiveness, offered born again, offered a new existence, this life and the next. And so each of us then has a choice. You reject or you receive. He says, but to those who did receive him, then he, that who, those who believed in his name, trusted in him, gave their lives to him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, 
So this then becomes for us uh, the message of Christmas. And so let's talk about the, the implications for us. In this room right now, there are two kinds of people and only two kinds of people, right? There are people who have received him and people who have not received him. There's only two kinds. Now, let me talk to those who've received you. So let let me define you. If you've received Christ, what I'm saying is that there's a time and place in your life you realize the claim of Christ, who he was, you realize the claim about his life, his death and resurrection, why that happened to make you right with God, to enter into a whole new relationship with God. You can be forgiven for all crimes against the king, receive the gift of his spirit, be changed from the inside out, empowered to live for him in this life, prepared for the next life. Okay, that, so there's a time and place in your life where someone shared with you what we call the gospel, the message of Jesus, and you gave your life to Christ. And you asked Jesus, would you come into my life and would you rescue me? And would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you remake me? And would you teach me? And would you be my, my guardian. And, so, and so, so for many of us in the room, we say, yes, that's who we are. We're in that camp. And so here's the question that I have for you at Christmas. So we enter the Christmas season that are you living the life that you claim to be part of? Are, are you living the truth of Christmas? Because what it means to be a Christ follower is that we not only receive Jesus as our savior, our rescuer, we receive him as our God. That's who he is. That God has come and to receive him means we receive him as our creator. We receive him as our God, which means by definition, we bow the knee. We say, you call the shots. You are the leader. I am not. And on that recognition and on that surrender, that is the deal, right? We come to Christ. We give him our life. We trust him. And then When you did that, when you gave your life to Christ, he came in, didn't he? And he began to change you from the inside out and you were born again and you began to have a new love for God and a new uh, love for people and you had a new hunger to do what's right and a new hatred to do what's wrong and you were drawn to the light and you were drawn away from the darkness and your life began to change and people began to note it. And it wasn't like you were just trying to make it happen, it was supernatural. God was changing you and you began to grow and so, so that that's one kind of people in this room. That, that, that's you, okay? So the question is, are you living the life that Jesus came to give you? Are you living the life that that God came to give you? Because here's what we know. Here's what we know. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. That's, his, that's why I've come, okay? So, so I've come to give you the life you were created to live. The question is, are you living that life as we enter this Christmas season? Because I know this is easy as Christ followers. There are times we start to live the life, but then there comes an issue, a situation where instead of following the light, we go back to the darkness. Maybe it's in a marriage situation. Maybe it's a bitterness situation. Maybe it's a sexual habit. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's an integrity issue. I don't know what the issue is. It's a priority thing, but there's an area as you follow Jesus, uh, as you begin to follow him, uh, it's a journey, isn't it? And, And when you first become a Christian, the light comes on and you see your direction for the first time. You realize who God is. You realize who you are. The first time, 
things get clear, but it's not the end of the journey, it's the start of the journey. And what Jesus said is, he who follows me will have the light of life. And so as you follow Jesus, it's like he's got the flashlight and he's going, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. And he's pointing in your relationship, in your marriage, on your job, in your, and he's like, he's like, He's just continually turning up that light. And as you follow that light, you move increasingly into the life he has for you, right? But there are times when what happens when Jesus begins shining the light, we say, that area I'm not ready to deal with. That one I'm not ready to surrender. And so we pull back and we go back to the darkness. And all of a sudden we can wake up one day and we say, where is the zeal? Where is the passion? Where is this life? I've lost the life. And the reason is, is because we have accepted Jesus as Savior, but we've not accepted him as our God. The one who calls the shots, you see? And so at Christmas, for those of us in this room, we're believers. The question is, are you living the life that he's called you to live? And, and, and do you understand the message of Christmas is a by definition, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is not just your savior, by definition, he is your God. And the path to life happens as you follow him as your God, right? The one who calls the shots, the one who lays down the path, the one who leads you to life, the one who loves you so much that he came to be part of this creation. Are you living that life? And if not, this is what a great time as we enter this Christmas season to say, Jesus, I've been playing fast and loose with you. I've called you my my leader, I've said you, you are my God. I've said that I believe in you, but the reality is I'm not treating you as my God. And I need to bow down to that baby in the manger this Christmas and acknowledge you are not just my rescuer, you are my God. And I'm gonna get back on track and I'm gonna follow you every step of the way and I'm gonna experience that life that you came to give me. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, good. So for those of you who are Christ followers, here's the question is, question, Chris, question on Christmas, is Jesus the baby in the manger to you or is he your God? Right? Because the baby in the manger is the God who created every molecule that moves, the God that gives you every breath that you breathe, the God that has knit you together in your mother's womb that sustains you, the God in whom the apostle Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being, that is the baby in the manger. And that at Christmas, we, we come to bow and worship and follow that baby. Now, for those of you, the second kind of person, you're a person that you've never really had that moment. You've, you've never really understood the message of the gospel. This honestly may be the first time in your life where you've really understood the message of Christmas. You've known the baby, manger, star, uh, wise man. You've known all that, but you've never really understood the true story that in Christmas, God is coming and he's coming for you. Okay? He's coming for you. He's coming to reveal to you who he is and he's coming to rescue you from your life of death and destruction and darkness and to give you a whole new life. And this is the most amazing Christmas gift of all, the, the gift of new life. And, and so if you're here today 
and you say, I've never heard that, but I want that gift. I want this relationship with God. There's a hunger in my life for God. I want to be changed. I want to know that new life. I want this relationship like you're describing. I'm gonna give you the chance to ask for that gift and to receive that gift of new life right now. Let's pray together. Well, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I wanna talk to you, first of you, to those of you who are believers here. You're a Christ follower. Uh, And I wanna ask you that simple question, are you living the life that God came to earth to give you? That he's come to set you free from your death and from your darkness. And are you living that life? Are you walking in the light that he shines in your life? Or are there areas that you've pulled back and that right now, even as I'm talking, you know exactly what it is that's led you back to the darkness? And is there anything right now as we enter this Christmas season, you need to surrender to this God who loves you and has come after you and you need to to let go of it and release it and get back on track so you can live the life that he came to give you. And and if there is in the quietness of this moment, I ask you to release that to him and, and to give your life and to acknowledge and to bow your knee to Jesus that this babe in the manger is your God and you're gonna follow him and you're gonna surrender and you're gonna live the life, experience the life he came to give you. And then for those of you here that, that maybe you've been at Rocky Peak 10, 15 years, maybe this is the first time you've come. Someone invited you to come, it's a brand new series, and they invited you. And really, it's the first time you've heard the message of the gospel, the message of this God who loves you, who came to live and die for you, to rise again so that you could have new life. And today, you wanna leave the darkness behind. You want him, you want him to forgive you. You wanna enter into a relationship. You want to be born again, receive his spirit, to be changed from the inside out, to live the life that you were created to live. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer right now. And, and as I pray this, I'm just gonna invite you to pray along with me in your mind, inside your mind. God will hear your heart. And and he will respond and he will come in and you will be born again and you will come to Christ today. And so just pray with me inside your own heart as I pray. Dear God, I ask you to come into my life. I'm tired of the darkness. I'm tired of living on my own. I ask you to forgive me for all my rebellion and for living as if you don't exist. I ask you to forgive me for all my crimes. I ask you to come into my life, to give me the gift of your spirit, to change me from the inside out, to teach me how to follow you, and to give me a new life, both in this life and the next life. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the kingdom. And while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to ask you to do me a favor. In a couple of minutes, we'll be entering into worship. We'll be taking the offering. Inside of your program, you received when you came in today, there's a small little card. It's called the Connect card. If you'd simply fill that out on the front and then in the back, just write me a note. Mike, I received Christ today. I asked Christ in my life today. Something like that. I'll know what you mean. And this, this week, I'll send you a letter with just some suggestions some, from first steps in your new relationship with Christ. Talk to you about baptism. One of the most important steps we take when we become a Christian is to, to become baptized. It's what Jesus asked us to do, a symbol of our new life. And so we'll talk about that. Baptism's coming up. I just encourage you to write that down and we'll be able to respond. And now, God, we come to you as a church and we, we worship you this week. This 
Christmas, first week, weekend of Christmas season. And we thank you that there was a time and a place when you became, you are so big, became so small to rescue us and to reveal yourself, to give us life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to move into some worship and we're going to take the offering. But I have one more thing to say on this message. If you look at the back of your note sheet, there's, there's a section there called the true story hidden in plain sight. You know, one of the, the few places that we see the message of Christmas in all its fullness in our culture is in our Christmas carols. Many of our Christmas carols are uh, not like Rudolph and those kind, but and the ones that are written by Christ's followers telling the story. And like a great example is one that we sang earlier today, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And in the opening verse, it tells the traditional story as we know it, you know, the angels, uh, peace on earth, Bethlehem, and so on. But as you get into the second and third verses, he begins to go into this deeper story that we've been talking about today. And if you look at the second verse that's there in your note sheet, it says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, the one who's in the beginning from all time. Late in time, behold, he's come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And then here we go. This is John 1:14. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, worship, the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Remember John 1:14, and the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. That's what he's referring to. Pleased with as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Hark, the herald angels sing glory. And then in the third verse, which I didn't print, it goes on and talks about why Christ came to sons of earth, that he might give us a second birth. Everything we've been talking about today. And so throughout this series, uh, from week to week, I'll also often be ending by highlighting a particular Christmas carol because I want to take this message of Christmas, not just this year, but in, in subsequent years, that whenever we come, we sing these carols, the whole story is being told. It's often the truth that's just been hidden in plain sight because it's, it's archaic language, it's old language. We don't follow along what they're saying, but they're telling the true story, the true story of Christmas. And so if you'd stand with me, we're gonna take our offering, we're gonna enter into worship. I'd like to lead us in prayer, and then we're gonna be singing that, and then singing uh, glory in the highest, the, what the angels sang on that first Christmas, uh, Christmas day. Father, we come now to worship you and we pray that you would receive our gifts as a sign of our love and affection. You'd use them to spread your kingdom and that many hundreds, thousands would come to know you as we continue this movement here at Rocky Peak, sharing the message of the creator who became part of his creation to rescue and to reveal and to draw us into relationship. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey. I'm very excited about this series and where we're going. This week, we went to the time before time. Next week, we'll step back into time, the very beginning of the story of the human race, the story of our rebellion. And yet right there at the very beginning of the story, we have these hints, these prophecies, these foretellings, these foreshadowings, these promises that into the darkness that our race stepped into, that one day a great hero would come. He would be born of the seed of a woman, a member of the human race, that would come to restore and to rescue and to bring us back and give us back our life. 
And throughout the Old Testament as it unfolds, there are these hints, these stories, these foretellings, these foreshadowings. It kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings, except it's real, except it's real. And I wish Lord of the Rings was real, it's not. But, but this one's real, this one's real. And, and we're gonna watch as these ancient hits, foretellings, foreshadowings, prophecies, are begin to laid out as God begins to promise that one day one will come who will restore all things and restore us to our true calling as sons and daughters of the King. And it's an amazing journey the next couple of weeks. It's an amazing journey. It's an amazing story. And so I hope you can be with us both weeks as we enter into that and prepare our hearts for Christmas. Until then, may the word who was made flesh the word who spoke this world into existence, the word who is with God and was God, the word who came to dwell amongst us on that Christmas morning. May that word be the word in your life. May he be the ultimate word. May he be the final word. May he be the true word. May he be the word of amazing grace and stupendous truth. May he be the word that leaves you, leads you on the path of life. And this Christmas season, you encounter that word that changes your life forever. That this Christmas season would lead you a changed person, more on the path of light, more on the path of life, because you're following the word that was made flesh. God bless you. I love you. See you next weekend. Don't forget your bags of tons of stuff. <laughs> Bring it outside your car. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.